This episode is brought to you by WeatherGuard Lightning Tech. At WeatherGuard, we support design engineers and make lightning protection easy. You're listening to the Struck Podcast. I'm Dan Blewett. I'm Alan Hall. And here on Struck, we talk about everything aviation, aerospace engineering, and lightning protection. All right, welcome back. This is Struck episode 10. Alan, how you doing? Hey, Dan, good. How are how's Washington D.C. doing? Uh, we're we're hanging in there. Starting to get nice. 80, 82 degrees, I think today. Partly sunny. Eighty five yesterday. Interest interesting. Just a yeah, that's not bad. Sudden sudden jump into summer weather. So it was nice. Yeah. Well, that's um, cool. Yeah. No baseball. Terrible. No nothing. There's no nothing. But the National Mall is very green. I'm gonna go down there today. Um. I guess the center cut portion of the of of the mall, which I that's such a weird saying. Mall always sounds strange to me because <laughs> you just who doesn't associate the word mall with a little like a shopping mall, like going in and out of Forever Twenty One, or like you don't know. Not that's where I shop, but you know my little sister. Um, it's a park. It's a park. Yeah, a park. but like the term is strange. It's just like anyway. I digress, but. The, the the grass, just like all the wildlife, like people have been talking about wildlife coming back with the coronavirus yeah. stuff, the grass is just superb. Super green, dense, because people aren't on it. They've kind of <laughs> like kept us off, and there's not that many people in general. So yeah, um, the parks here in D.C. are alive and well. So, so did, yeah, you, did you well, did you see that video yesterday? I think it was yesterday. Uh, I'm just thinking because no one's out on the streets right now. You see that tiger walking down the street of that town of Mexico and the guy's trying to lasso the tiger down the street? You see that? That seems like a fool's errand, trying to catch a tiger. That's a good way to get eaten by that tiger. You just got to well, let that yeah, tiger go to an extent. Got, you got to tranquilizer dart it and call it a, call it a day. They lassoed this tiger in the street. I, unbelievable. Like, what's there a tiger in the street? <laughs> Is that somebody's pet that just got out? It's kind of like Florida with the pythons, right? Like, it, people let off their pet pythons, and then they turn, mm-hmm. they go out in the wild, and they're 50 feet long, and they're, Yeah. You know. I remember seeing this video, and it was somewhere in, like, maybe, like, India, or, you know, where, like, jaguars and, like, cheetahs are, like, and again, I don't know if this exactly works. I don't know if cheetahs are in India, but there was, like, one of these big cats. It wasn't a tiger, obviously, but it was, like, a jaguar or a cheetah, like, one of those medium-sized big cats but it was like in this little town and it was just like running around like tackles a dude then everyone's Whoa. like chasing it chasing it around and it was kind of terrifying how fast this scared you know like five foot long whatever it was i think it was i think it's like a jaguar but yeah it's just it was just this cat was like trying to get out everyone's like trying to shoot out of the little village it was like jumping up this wall this building and this building and just like it was scary because if you're anywhere around this cat could just like oh, I'm going to go punch you in the face or I'm going to go bite you real fast. I'm going to try to go this way and go that way. I mean, the the, agili- the agility of these wild animals is just impressive. It's remarkable, but, isn't it? Yeah. But yeah, that's why well, I'm not trying to... That, that tiger, that jaguar is walking down the street, just go at your own pace, sir. I'm not totally going to bother you. Fine. Like, right. just don't Enjoy mind me. Day. Yeah, we're good. And like, we got we're murder... Good. Asian giant hornets now, too. Like, no thanks. Goodbye, sir. No, no. Go about well, your here, business. Well, here, you know, the bears have finally woken up from their winter slumber, and mm. they're looking for food, right? So, the next town over, they had a, uh, a bear end up in a car, and they're not even sure how it got in there, but <laughs> it got... Wow. It was at nighttime, and you hear the car sh- shaking outside, like, what the heck's going on? And as the news reported, it is like, 
looked outside, the car had shaken, realized that there's a bear in the car, and the, the bear can't get out. So what are you going to do with this bear? Well, in the meantime, the bear's all upset, so he just starts eating everything in the car, seats, steering wheel, console, wow. just starts ripping apart the car. Uh, so they, they brought up another car next to this car, and then they pop the door open, and the bear shoots out. But at that point, cars totaled. No, for <laughs> the sure. The bear just totaled that car. Now, so that reminds us here that when you go grocery shopping, that uh, probably the thing to do is always close your doors. You come in and out and make sure, like, your kids aren't still in the car with the groceries the doors open because yeah. you never know. Right now, bears have the rain or just all what of What a weird thing to have to think about. I got to. Oh, yeah. That's such a weird thing that. Well, that's crazy. I never thought about that. Yeah. Which, bears. which makes sense. And I'm sure in a lot of places in the country, that is a thought that people have, have had. Like if you live near Yosemite or something, or you just live in a heavily forested woods, that is a thing, I'm sure. Yeah. If you have bears in the area, food outside in your car makes sense. Bad. But Bad. I've never had Don't. to think about that. Yeah. yeah. No, you. Uh, like our trash cans are in our garage and the reason you put trash cans in the garage is because if you don't then you'll have a bear in your backyard so you always put your trash cans in your in your garage hmm. just to keep the bears away yeah interesting yeah life well, in the speaking, wilderness yeah well speaking of keeping things indoors uh news report in singapore a fedex pilot was arrested for and he was sentenced to four weeks in prison after leaving his hotel room for three hours to buy masks and thermometer. <laughs> yeah. What do you, what do you got Isn't that here? Isn't nuts? Like, it's from Alaska. On. Right? I mean, the guy. The guy's a pilot. He's not somebody that's, you know, trying to cause trouble. All he's trying to do is probably move medical supplies from one country to another. That's probably what a lot of these flights are about, moving essentials around. And then you arrest this pilot and... I get the whole thing where obviously he broke a law. He probably didn't even know it existed. Maybe he knew it existed. Uh, but is that the person you want off the street? It'd be like arresting a doctor, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Is that the person you want off the street right now? No. No, you, you, you don't. And what harm really came about it? You want to fine him? You want to you know, make FedEx pay a $1,000 fine? But putting this guy out of commission, that's... Uh, to me is a little overkill i'm not sure uh, we would do that in i don't States. know alan he, he sounds like a real monster leaving his hotel room for three hours <laughs> to get medical room. supplies that professional pilot you know is who's probably spent most of his life learning how to fly and airplanes yeah no this is the wrong guy to put behind well what, i don't and it doesn't say in this article what the law is like you just can't leave for any reason because that seems like a valid reason like he's got a like he's got a, a hall pass like hey like teacher said i can go to the bathroom like that yeah. seems crazy. Like, what is the rule? Right. But it doesn't doesn't say that here. I don't know. Well, the, it, it, you can't you can't drink there either, right? There's no bars there. So I don't know it's, what you know. It, it, yeah, man, I, I they're just trying to make everyone angry. That's well, I, I I don't think that's a place was a lot of uh, you know if the if the pilot's out and he's out I don't know playing craps in the back alley or something I'm like okay yeah all right guys cool, don't right? play don't play dice in the back alley no cockfighting. No, during no, quarantine, right? You know, like, no, it's not you know. healthy, right? Yeah, but you know this this guy, uh, you got to think FedEx is going out of their mind right now about this and trying to work the government, try to deal with the police, and then trying to get their pilot back because now you got to spool up somebody else to fly this route. Golly, come on! 
Yeah, that's a shame. In other, uh, well, in business news, uh, so Phaser uh, has filed for bankruptcy. So yeah. tell me a little bit about Phaser. I mean, you, you know them quite well. Yeah, Phaser was, or is probably still, because I think they're in bankruptcy to restructure, but they went mm-hmm. through bankruptcy before. They're, they make an electronic, uh, electronically steerable antenna that's made for SATCOM use. And they were trying to, to get into the aircraft market because their system would be more aerodynamic, uh, possibly way less, uh, maybe have slightly better performance than the mechanically steered antennas that we use for SATCOMs right now. Uh, and but you know there's a, there's a lot of difficulties with those systems, mostly having to do with heat generation because if they're electronically steered, which means they use a lot of power, which means they get warm, or mm-hmm. in some cases they get hot, and then you got to deal with all this this heat and heat and stuff. So, uh, I, I you know there was always been a case for electronically steered antennas, and Phaser had a very viable product. It, it, it was a matter of just a timing that the timing was bad when they're in the midst of development and they're spending a lot of cash and now there's a lot of airplanes off the market they're not sitting in sitting in fields waiting for the airline industry to come back it's probably just a matter of timing i don't think electronically steered antennas are going to go away and phaser will probably be back and the obviously the engineers there are pretty smart because they designed this antenna it's not easy to do uh, you, you just don't wish things to ha- like this to happen yeah, so tell me a little more about electronically steered antennas. Like, are other companies making those? Like, does Thinkcom make those? Because we talked about yeah. that in a previous episode. Like, is that yeah. a, how current is that? Is like the cutting edge of technology right now, or, or what is that as far as like satcoms? Uh, uh, it's been known for a long time. You you basically take uh, what we've been we've had electronically steered antennas on a lot of things uh, for a very long time. The the, the some of the most interesting ones, I think, are on ships. Uh, but the on the aircraft side, mostly military aircraft will use steerable antennas. And what they are, just a, an, an array of antennas and how you phase them relative. So you got a, a, like a 16 by 16 grid of antennas, and then you phase them differently uh, so that it effectively steers the beam without you mechanically moving it. Hmm. It... it it works, obviously. It's just electromagnetics, right? And then a bunch of electronics to control it. Thincom already does that. Now, Thincom's a combination. It has electronically steered and it's mechanically steered. So they got the, the pie plate design, the pizza uh, plate design, where it spins, but it also can steer kind of up-down electronically. I like uh, that you're very specific that it wasn't a pie. It was more of a pizza. That's a very well, important distinction for our, our listenership here. Guys, I like to- gals, listening, this is not a pie plate. It's a pizza plate. Thank you. All right. Well, it has to do with relative size, right? So I'm trying to put it in perspective and things. Is this New York style pizza? Is this Chicago deep dish? Is this Giordano's pizza? I mean, this is serious stuff here. Well, okay. So it's much more like a Chicago deep dish pizza. I would say because okay. it's thick. It's thick. It's probably an inch and a half to two inches thick. Uh, so it's not it's not thin it's not a thin crust New York style it's more like a thick crust pizza from <laughs> I Chicago. Love that you're indul- right? I love that you're indulging this nonsensical. <laughs> I've been to Chicago. Ra- I've had Chicago pizza. Hey, yeah, engineers, engineers got to eat, right? Uh, so yeah, engineers tra- engineers travel a lot typically, and we eat a lot of eat a lot of restaurants. So we have pretty much had every kind of food there. <laughs> 
in the world, particularly in the States. I've eaten everywhere. So I've eaten at all those pizza places in Chicago. So it's much more like that, where it's a deep okay. dish pizza thing. Okay. And, it spin, okay. and it spins, right? So it's like a large deep dish pizza. Okay. Pizza, pizza expert, Alan Hall, discusses SATCOM <laughs> right over the <laughs> Well, yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll change It's the, just like that. Exactly. Yeah, uh, now, the phaser thing was different. It's kind of like Chimata. Chimata's in this doing similar things, where it's just basically a flat piece, and uh, SpaceX is doing something similar. There's a lot of people doing similar things, but okay. it's, it's, a fl- it's a flat plate, and it doesn't move. There's no mechanical moving parts, so it's gotcha. all steered. Now, issues on airplanes... Uh, are that airplanes are never really stable. Obviously, you fly on an airplane, it gets bumpy. You're trying to track this spacecraft that's uh, in geosynchronous orbit, and I think that's... Oh, I forget how far that is away. I used to know. I used to work in the industry. It's a long ways away. So you're trying to focus on this one pinpoint in the sky, and the airplane's bouncing around all the time. It's hard to do that electronically. It's hard to do it mechanically. Uh, so the, it's, a, it's a complex thing. It takes a lot of power. And they're not uh, electronically steered antennas require more power to look to the side than a mechanical. And a mechanical, you just turn it and look. And on electronic, you actually have to do a lot more work to get it, a lot more power to do that same sort of thing. So, the, And the problem with electronically steered antennas is they generate a lot of heat. And if you're on the ground and say to you in... Saudi Arabia or someplace where it's really hot and you got and you're running a lot of data through it it's going to get warm and you got mm. to do something to to deal with that heat that's the gotcha. problem gotcha yeah. gotcha so we're going to transition uh we're going to talk a bunch today about electric aircraft and uh and this is an interesting topic because there's a lot of new small companies that are are trying their hand at this um so the first one this one is a concept and it's really honestly kind of bizarre looking uh, and this is it's zero by Joe Doucette, who if you look through Joe Doucette's portfolio of stuff he's designed, he's like a crazy, incredible designer. Mm. Um, and this is just a concept plane, and he's not yeah. an air, he's not an aerospace engineer. But nope. this, um, <laughs> what what do you got on the zero, the zero plane concept? <laughs> I'm not. Because it looks it, it looks it looks strange. Yeah, airplanes have a couple of restraints, like where the center of gravity is relative to the center of lift, and. That's what we call stall. If you get in the wrong condition, it won't fly right. Uh, that airplane looks like it has a really weird center of gravity. Yeah, because like lift. most of it is forward, and the wings are very far shifted back. towards the back. Which yeah, right. at first you're like, is this a? It's like a pencil. It's like a flying pencil. Well, you ever been on an airplane where they've asked you to change seats because of weight and balance? You ever been in a smaller mm, airplane where they've done that? I, I haven't. No. No. Okay. Well, mm. maybe maybe I'm heavier looking. So <laughs> maybe maybe one day I'll be in a. I'll get asked to move. Maybe one day. <laughs> Excuse me, sir. We need a weight and balance the airplane. Can you move up to the front of the airplane for weight and balance? Like, mm, okay. Why are you picking up me? Uh, but mm. that's what that the weight and balance is is how to keep the airplane stable. Whether you distribute the weight on the airplane does matter, right? If you get the weight too mm-hmm. far back or too far forward, it doesn't fly right. Uh, well, that was the why that so, one aircraft was it a seven forty seven that crashed. I feel like it's an Iranian 747. I saw this video. It's, it's terrifying. And there's this, they caught it on video where it's going up and it just like flutters and then just smashes into the ground and the whole thing. Yeah. It was a, a, a Iranian military, I think a cargo aircraft. And they said, hmm. and I could be getting some of the details wrong because this wasn't in our like our, our layout, our plan for today. But this video is, it's terrifying because that was a real plane with like real, it looks fake. Like it's so crazy. But they said that they I'm thought it. it was it was carrying a lot of cargo and that it probably shifted. 
like maybe a strap oh. broke like maybe a strap broke yeah. and a big piece of cargo shifted and that's probably what happened weight and balance so, right yeah you get the, mm-hmm. s- the center of gravity off and then all of a sudden all hell breaks loose you can't do that right and that's and the same sort of thing if you have cargo break loose in an airplane uh it's a big deal big yeah. deal right so the this airplane that joe's designed to me it looks like it's not airworthy <laughs> for the start yeah. and, there, and and it, it kind of relates back to an earlier conversation we had about what are we doing with aircraft design if you know well, a yeah, lot about airplanes and, right now yeah and that's i think a fair question for anyone because you start to look at these and this was the same thing with electric cars you're like hey okay this is an electric car why does it have to be so ugly <laughs> hey look no another electric car why does it look like that <laughs> Why can't it look like a normal car? Okay, so it's electric, but does that mean it has to look like a flying like clownfish or a driving clown? Like it, like the Honda Prius or the Toyota Prius is still just awful looking. It, has, it is, and its design has nothing to do with the fact that it's electric. It's just like we chose that. Well, um, okay, okay. Having having built an electric car at one point in college, uh, aerodynamics are huge in terms of energy usage. So you're trying to build the slipperiest aerodynamic lowest uh, rolling resistance thing you can design right that's why the tires okay. are narrow Fair. like that right yeah Which so they're, they're trying to, to do that make sense for the new cyber truck for tesla right that seems to fly no. in the face of that driving yeah. trapezoid of ugly of ugliness <laughs> yeah you know, it's, but, it's ugly and it's going to no, sell so a million bad. of them yeah <laughs> not to well not to me i i would never drive that behemoth but anyway so so why why are aircraft designers of these electric aircraft trying to go out of their way to make them so different is this just like we're trying to look cool or is this actually an important aspect of it what do you have on that well if you think about the number of aircraft over the years that have been cool looking and then also never gone anywhere this i i've lost track on all those airplanes burt rutan was a big designer way back in the 70s and 80s uh the beach starship was a burt rutan design he had very interesting concepts for airplanes. Uh, the airplane that flew around the world nonstop, uh, that was a Burt Rutan airplane. Uh, and that's in, the, that's, a, that's in the mall there at the Air and Space Museum, actually. Uh, okay. So these unique, unique-shaped airplanes have very speci- or should be designed for very specific purposes, like if it's a heavy-lift aircraft or it's got to glide a long way. Totally fine. I'm, I'm okay with all that. But when you get to something that's a, just a commercial aircraft to carry people from point A to point B, then what are we doing, right? If you've got some genius breakthrough in aerodynamics, great. Let's get it out on the table and let's hear about it. But yeah. otherwise, what the heck are we doing making, making the process to certify an airplane even more difficult than it is already? Anytime you introduce a new or novel feature – and you're trying to certify it with a FAA, EASA, I don't care, pick, pick any of those, Transport Canada, pick any of them, you're going to have trouble because they have to figure out what the rules are for that different flight characteristic or flight regime or, or, mm-hmm. or performance, right? And so why do you do that? If you want to make an electric airplane, then make an electric airplane. It, it can have a wing. It can have an empennage. It can have a fuselage. It can have landing gear simplify the thing because the technology you're trying to promote is the electric motor battery concept that's what you're trying to promote that's why the e-flyer and george by makes a ton of sense because he's building an airplane he's building an airplane that's run with electricity genius right don't don't try to rechange the world because you're in this particular case this is why this is why elon musk does not design airplanes (laughs) 
Elon Musk doesn't design airplanes because there's a regulatory body that puts a lot of requirements on you that, that force you down a certain design path. And when you have an airplane, you have lawsuits. So in a car, the worst, you know, let's just get realistic about this. In a car, if you have a car accident, most likely people aren't going to die. If they do, it's going to limit a number, a limited subset. And an mm-hmm. airplane, any sort of moderate to significant crashes and can involve dozens to hundreds of people. So, therefore, you have all these different regulatory requirements. And the Jeff Bezos and the Elon Musk and all these guys that are designing all this stuff don't get into airplanes because there's a huge downside risk to do it. And yet we get a lot of the small, smaller players, I'll call it, that try to design, redesign airplanes to do all these things which we don't really need, right? We just need to be more efficient about the way we travel. Let's get that, or we need to be safer, in the way we travel. Let's do those things first. We can figure out how to, to create new aerodynamics on the fighter aircraft. I just don't get it because what you don't want to do in an aircraft is fail in a new aircraft program. You got enough expenditures. Why do you keep adding on problems? I don't I don't get it. Yeah, and that's, that's it. something I hadn't thought about before because they were talking about, as I was doing a lot of research here with like Ampere, they have a yep. retrofitted electric plane. Yep. And that compared to say the aviation alice which is a brand new you know built from the ground up quirky kind of strange looking small yeah. commuter plane that they project will be uh four million dollars um in cost and two hundred dollars an hour to mm-hmm. operate which is which mm-hmm. is great um but that's from the ground up so they're talking about this is going to be a two to three year process to certify the the alice versus a plane where they're just taking an existing certified plane and retrofitting the engine with a electric engine. Yep. I mean, how, how much, how much time is that going to save them and, and headaches on the certification process? Retrofitting it'll, versus ground up. It'll probably save them a billion dollars. <laughs> is that good? I, I, I'm, and I'm dead serious <laughs> about that. It'll probably save them a billion dollars to make an airplane that carries nine, 10 people. Isn't cheap. It's several hundred million dollar effort. Uh, to retrofit an old Cessna Skymaster costs $50,000, $100,000, and you're proving the same point. You're trying to prove the point that you can do an electric aircraft, and if you use an existing airframe that has been proven over time, like the Skymaster was developed during the late 1960s, early 1970s. It, we all we know how it performs. So putting an electric motor, taking out one gas motor and putting an electric motor, you still have the remaining gas motor, makes infinite sense um the alice thing where they got the engines out on the wingtips have we ever have we ever certified one something like that nope nope uh, as far as i remember we haven't so you got all these loading issues you got these torque issues on the wing you've got uh propellers out in the yeah no right uh so it looks cool at an air show, and I'm, I'm not saying it's not a good concept. I, I, it, it may all be there. But in order to get to some sort of production thing, you have to take it in stages. And um, this has been the Cessna approach for a long time. It's been the beach aircraft approach for a long time. And those are the aircraft companies that have survived. The other ones have all gone away. Even Cirrus has done this very, very wisely over time. Start with like a basic fundamental aircraft and then keep working it and working it. Like Cirrus has a new uh, new jet, right? And that's just an outgrowth of their propeller-driven airplanes. Diamond aircraft's done something very similar. They start with a very basic fundamental design and improve it over time. We need to get back to that point again. 
uh, even with the new regulation change in Part 23, where they've taken a lot of the restrictive rules out to open up the doors, it doesn't mean that the, the amount of design effort is going to change all that much. You're still going to be spending a bunch of money. And so you try to minimize the cash burn. And for some reason, um, we haven't figured that one out. It's troubling. That's an industry I love, and I, I participate in it all the time. And you just wish they could think about this a little bit differently. Well, you wonder if there's some design aspects that, that require maybe a whole new ground-up design, like trying to stuff in as many batteries as they can, mm. like stuff like that, building them into the frame, like the way Tesla's batteries of their cars is kind of integrated into the frame of the car. Um, okay. So I don't know the specifics. That could be part of it. I'm not sure. but That could be. What do you that think of the, of, the, of the cost savings? So it says, like, for the Alice, for example, they estimate $200 per hour to operate a plane. I mean, how does that compare with with a, a regular small 12 person, you know, commuter. Seems chat. low. Seems, seems like a fraction of what it should be. Yeah, I think it's um, like five, thousand. Five, five times lower, if not more. Yeah, I was gonna say a thousand bucks an hour yeah, would like be typical for those kind of things. I remember uh, when I worked at Beach and we, <laughs> you had to rent the airplane when you worked at Beach Aircraft to go somewhere. So you had to pay for the pilots had to pay for the fuel as part of your program expense so if you had a bunch of engineers that needed to get to salt lake city for example mm-hmm. it was less expensive to load up an airplane you'd have to pay for it you had to pay the pay the company back to load the airplane instead of buying airline tickets so it didn't make sense but the i remember pricing that out in the thousand bucks an hour um i think a king air was like 500 an hour a beach jet or some sort of jet was, is a thousand bucks an hour so the faster you go, the more expensive it is, but the less time it takes. So it <laughs> roughly evens out. So in a King Air, it takes longer to get there, but it's less expensive per hour. It yeah. always adds about the same. Yes. But it, to think to, to think you're going to cut down the amount of uh, costs per hour by a factor of five seems implausible. Not to say that they haven't done their homework, but on the face of it, it seems really difficult to believe. Yeah, and that might just be one of those, I mean, I think when uh you know a piece of advice back with my first business that my cousin who's in the financial sector gave me he's like whatever whatever you're making because we were going through a a, a sort of pivot he said whatever you're predicting your expenses to be and whatever you're predicting he's like over you know exaggerate your expenses by maybe 50 percent and reduce (laughs) the income that you expect by maybe 30 percent so yeah he's like really be and so it could be just something like that where that's maybe the pie in the sky answer um Mm. And you'll see when they get there to production if that's really that. But I'm sure it is a, a significant reduction. But yeah, you're, you, that's a pretty big cut. So you're, you'll have to see and if that really plays out that way. Right. There's a lot of your your financial advisor is right. There's a lot of overhead you don't think of when you haven't been through it. There's a lot of overhead. Well, yeah, and you just it, it's easy to just throw things down on people. Like, oh yeah, we'll get this many get this many customers and you know it'll only be that many you just always forget of the the unexpected expenses and the the headaches and the time lost and all these things and just things don't go the way you think they're going to go and if it was uh, e- yeah if it would be if it was easy a lot of people be doing it and if it was financially viable then be a lot more people doing it and over time from the 1960s to today we've seen fewer and fewer and fewer aircraft companies have it's gotten more and more difficult to do it that's why the part 23 regulations have changed in the last year or two to try to open that up to make it less uh, onerous to try to start an aircraft company. I don't know if we're seeing fruit from that quite yet just because of the whole COVID-19 thing that's going on. But, you know, some of this has to play out. I 
I am optimistic that we're going to get back to this, what I consider sort of the heyday of some of the airplane business, which is sort of early 70s, late 60s, when they're pumping out dozens of airplanes a day. That would be great if you get back to those numbers, but the overhead is so expensive. It's unbelievable. Well, the way we could save everyone, we could do this. This could be, well, we got probably shouldn't air this because this will be, I mean, this is a big idea, but we develop a vaccine or a cure that we can crop dust out of planes. (laughs) Airline industry comes back, everyone's saved. And we'll use electric airplanes. So electric airplanes are just crop dusting the entire country in a coronavirus eradicating um, aerosol. It's perfect. It solves everyone's problems all at once. We'll get right on it, right? Yeah. And then with our billions of dollars from this idea, we'll then invest that in small businesses locally to save them too. So... You heard yeah, it here you first. This. You heard it here first. You got that all figured out, huh? Okay. Yeah. Yep. Sounds good. So, last one on the, on the list here, um, the Air Fan or the Airbus E Fan X. Ugh. So, <laughs> all right. Well, are they stopped you, the pro- that's that's the one they stopped the program on recently, right? That's the four engine thing that that they were. Yeah. Yeah. And I think they took down their site. I was trying to look for the site this week. And Not, I think the site. I got gone. it. It's still here. Yeah. It's oh, still, is it okay? Still kicking. Mm-hmm. Okay. So why did that? Why did that fail? That's kind of what I want to discuss. I mean, it looks like four uh, four engines, but one of them was going to be um, a two megawatt electric. Mm-hmm. So yeah. just they just I, ran out of money, huh? I'm assuming that everybody's just trying to conserve funds. Like Boeing's done a lot of that too. All the airplane companies have basically shut down all the R and D programs just to conserve cash. Uh, it's probably a short term thing. Hopefully, they get it back up and running because the uh, aircraft is a sort of assembled. Last I saw of it, it was pretty much ready to go out and do some testing. Mm-hmm. And this is the way we test all new engines, by the way, is uh, we put the, the new engine on an existing airframe and then go fly it around. So, like, uh, we're out in Phoenix, um, out in the desert out there, and, and GE was testing their G- new GE 90 engine, GE90X, I think it was. And it was on a, they had it mounted to a 747, so it's a four engine airplane. They'd taken one of the engines off and put this engine on. It looked, looked awkward, but um, the, so that's the way you check out new engine performance. You attach it to an, another airplane that has multiple, <laughs> excuse me, multiple engines. Because um, how, so, how many does it need to stay? I mean, if you, how many engines can you lose before the plane goes down? I mean, how many of those four is, are essential? Yeah. I think two two i think are essential for that airplane uh the ge90 engine is such a huge thrust generating engine um i wonder how they deal with that on the thrust side uh, it's way more than the standard engines on a 747 uh, but you'll see that like you can actually google some of those things you can actually see uh, uh in, engine test bed aircraft it's sort of interesting to watch because you got these really funky shaped airplanes and sometimes like i think it was honeywell who makes jet engines also uh, attached an engine to the side of a fuselage i think a seven of a 757 and they've done a lot of testing with that test bed hmm. yeah so it's funky to see but um any new engine development thing is big uh, you're going to spend a ton of money you got to go fly it obviously you got to do all these different kinds of tests so i think and just in terms of airbus expense they were just trying to minimize that those flight test hours are so expensive it just makes sense to kind of shut it down for a while but i don't think you're going to see the end of electric aircraft it's going to continue especially if the tesla work actually happens and the and the battery costs come down 
we're going to have electric aircraft at some point, especially at the sort of the kit level, the homebrew level. I know mm-hmm. Oshkosh, Oshkosh, did you hear Oshkosh is not going to happen this year? Which is the Experimental Aircraft Association's fly-in in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. And they, I've been to that when I was, whew, it was probably back in the 80s, last time when I was there. But there's a hundred thousand plus do they have people. Good, do they have good pizza there? How was the pizza in Oshkosh? Well, no, you're in Wisconsin. Uh, you're kind of up northern Wisconsin. Now, the, a lot of cheese there. That's what I know. <laughs> exactly. That's a, that's a, there's a lot of cheese a lot of there. Che- a lot of cheese there. A lot of, lot of cheese there. And there's a lot of people. Oh, my gosh. That's a huge thing. And that's where you see all the uh, homebrew kid airplanes show up and all the different varieties and all the unique layouts and everybody is trying something new happens at that level it's very similar i always look at it as oshkosh used to be like uh uh back in the late 70s early 80s the computer developers all those little clubs used to have where people were developing computers it was it's the same sort of thing except on the aircraft level and some of the newest technology actually comes out of places like oshkosh i Hmm. think because you can try it out small Right, Just try it out small, see how it works, and then you can make make it bigger over time. Someone asked yeah. me the someone asked me the other day um, uh, was asking about the seven eighty seven and all this great new technology in the seven seven eighty seven. It's a carbon fiber airplane, blah blah blah. Said, yeah, but Beach Aircraft did it twenty years earlier, roughly, uh, with Starship, and before that there was a Lear fan. And a lot of the people that worked on my program, my program, when I worked at Beach Aircraft, we were working on composite jets. All those, all those guys, engineers, ended up in Seattle designing the 787. So realistically, you know, a lot of the stuff starts small and then percolates up to the big guys. And now Airbus is building airplanes out of carbon fiber like they were building at Oshkosh 25 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. Starts small. Yeah, well, that makes sense, I mean, and that's what they're, they're talking about. Most of these, air, uh, these electric aircraft are going to be little kind of, kind of commuter planes, right? Like under five hundred mm. miles, yep, stuff like that, and and potentially, and I think this was the case mostly with uh, aviation. Their Alice aircraft, they were hoping that that one could be same. They kind of like puddle jumps to places where they don't have a lot of uh, air travel, like a lot of like you know Americans not flying there a bunch or whatever. Just yeah, small, what- smaller airstrips, yeah. That's what Buy Aerospace was doing because they were doing. Uh, they have a company they hooked up with that's going to be doing uh, basically shuttle flights out of LAX to some of the surrounding airports, going like flying up north to Sacramento, Oakland, those kind of things. Whereas you can actually fly to LAX on an international flight, and t- instead of having to sit and wander around or try to drive back up to Sacramento or down south to San Diego, you just hop on this little e-flyer and, and go do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, yeah, well, and then, then we're going to prove out electric aircraft. I mean, there you go. There's your perfect case. Starting of, of small. Yeah, it's starting small, Start, for sure. Starting small, and, and then, you know, obviously, that's going to be the uh, people who are, have the money to go do that. are going to start off, and we're going to figure a lot of things out. It's similar to uh, it's similar to what, like, Garmin has done for years. So Garmin's technology was always GPS. So you and I probably know them originally as having the little ha- handheld GPS you put in your car before cars yeah. had gps right mm-hmm. she used to buy these little handheld garments well garmin has a whole aviation division out in olathe kansas and they started developing avionics a long time ago uh gee whiz probably before 2000 so yeah they've been doing it a long time 25 30 years probably now and if you watch them go like they don't develop airplanes they just develop the avionics systems the autopilots all the flight controls 
they do all the integration stuff. And like some of the products they're putting out now are freaking fantastic. Like they got touch screens, right? Uh, they've they simplified the interface. They have that that safe return flight system for uh, the for Cirrus, Cirrus jet. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, right? And they developed the same thing, for, I think, for a Piper airplane. One of the, the Pipers has the same system. Like, that's, that's a Garmin thing. Like, they've just gradually added on, got smarter and smarter, and improved, improved, improved. And like the, the new G3X, which is our smaller system for, I think that's what uh, by aerospace is using in their aircraft. Like, wow, this is cool, right? This is yeah. really cool stuff. But they didn't go from making GPS and handheld GPS to put in your car to then designing flight control systems for Boeing. They didn't do that. They started out small and and learned along the way and kept making it better and better and better. And now they're, it's in my opinion, they're a very serious player in the avionics world just because they have so much knowledge and history and they have the now they have the infrastructure behind them to do something big or to make automated flight, like pilotless aircraft. There's no way that Garmin doesn't know how to do that. They have to know how to do that by now. They have, I'm sure they haven't, you know, when we get to the point where we can actually hop in an aircraft and say, I want, I want to go from... Williamstown, Massachusetts, I'm going to go visit Dan. Bink! I'm going to just punch it in there, and away I go. It's going to be a company like Garmin that's going to do that. It's not yeah. going to be a company like me doing that. It's going to be a company like Garmin that's going to do that. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, all that GPS technology, I mean, it's come such a far way. Like, uh, mm. you know, my, my brother-in-law, who's in the military, was talking about how when he entered the military, like GPS wasn't a thing like for soldiers nope. and now nope. and then early on he was pushing for it and suddenly he everyone can know you know a couple of years later everyone can know where everyone else in their 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 platoon is and they can coordinate yep. these missions so much better because they now know um where they where are everybody is and that was that wasn't a thing for so long and now it's just yep. like every day like you can look on snapchat and and know where your friends are if they turn that setting on which is creepy and strange but yeah, I mean, GPS and all this tech, tech like, because Garmin, you never, I, like you said, I never associated it with anything but in-car GPS, but it's mm. infiltrating every aspect of our lives and tracking us it, and it is. actually help, helping us move, you know, travel around faster. So that's cool. Yeah, and one of the things I designed when I got first got out of college, I used to work for, it was GE, and then it became Martin Marietta, then it became Lockheed Martin, was uh, I worked on the GPS Block 2R satellites, so I was designing antennas that are probably still flying uh honestly and and i remember at that time this is before my kids are born uh so my kids don't know anything but having gps but we were this is sort of the early generation of gps satellites and what a huge advantage it was for the united states to have that system because you could tell mm-hmm. where you were at any one time right huge huge yeah absolutely speaking of this will be kind of the last thing we we touch on but ge's in trouble you Listen to much of the, the business stock news recently. Yeah, you, <laughs> yes. What, and what, I, I, I don't I, I don't own a GE stock. I used to own yeah. a whole bunch of GE stock, and I got out of it. Uh, oh, before the well, before two thousand one, probably two thousand. I got out of it because um, we worked there. And we used to part of our incentive plan was to end up with all this GE stock. Uh, GE has really struggled uh, mostly because of their. They were in the insurance business for a long time, and they had a GE Capital, so they had a lot of investments. Mm-hmm. And the, insur- the insurance business, they tried to offload the insurance business, uh, and they couldn't because no one wanted to take on that risk, particularly of insurance of, of older people. 
And so they've been carrying that in the books and carrying it on the books and then whammo, you know, eventually that's going to hit and they're going to have a huge loss. And they did. I mean, so they're now they're divesting of all sorts of things. Um, they, I think they've divested of the uh, down in Louisville, Kentucky, where they made a lot of appliances are gone. Obviously, anything around us, which this where I live right now was GE Central. Yeah, uh, we're right in the middle of GE heaven here. And uh, Jack Welch grew up and well, did a lot of his early stuff with GE Plastics just down the road. And yeah, right. This is a whole thing where uh, when I hear other podcasts talking about Amazon or Facebook taking over the world, I say, yeah. That's what they said about GE. That's what they said about Sears. That's what they said about Kmart. That's what they said about all these companies that Standard Oil, you know, all these companies that were going to take over the world and just never lasted 15, 20 years and they were gone. Um, GE, I hope it doesn't go away because there's a lot of, and that's one thing about GE is that they, they would hire the best people they could find and then they would train them. And that was one of the lucky things that I happened just to fall backwards into was, they hired a bunch of engineers and they put us in this Edison engineering program. And it was a two-year program where they moved you around the company. You saw different parts of the company, but it was also there was, there was classroom training and they would pay for your graduate degree. Uh, that was a huge thing. So GE has a ton of very bright, smart employees. And you just really, it pains me to when you hear about GE struggling because you know there's a lot of smart people uh, that won't have jobs. That hurts. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the the news. I mean, the whole stock market situation right now is is fascinating just to monitor and see what's going on and what companies might make it out of this and which ones might not. Yeah. Um, and it's not like you said. It's not necessarily for a lack of talent and quality people. No. It's just lots of external factors. So it's an interesting time we're in right now. Yeah, it is, right? A lot of it's luck, right? They always say, one thing they say about like Apple computers is that's how you know that there is a God because without a, a heavenly being, there, Apple computers would not exist. It's sort of like that. I mean, some part of being a business is luck and timing and mm -hmm. it doesn't have a lot to do with decisions. And I think in, in the case of GE, it may not have to do with a lot of specific recent decisions as much as decisions that were made 20 years ago that are now just coming back to haunt them. And they really have no control over it. They just had to write it out. All right. Well, that'll do it for today's episode of Struck. If you're new to the show, thank you so much for listening. And please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Check out the WeatherGuard Lightning Tech YouTube channel for video episodes, full interviews, and short clips from the show. And follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Our handle is at WGLightning. Tune in next Tuesday for another great episode on aviation, aerospace engineering, and lightning protection. Strike Tape, WeatherGuard Lightning Tech's proprietary lightning protection for radomes, provides unmatched durability for years to come. If you need help with your radome lightning protection, reach out to us at weatherguardaero.com. That's weatherguardaero.com.